good number of folks out, uh, you know, so be praying, you know, it's just that season, a lot of things, a lot of, you know, graduations and just people move on the move and that like, so it's good to see you guys. Exodus chapter 18, um, I, I struggled a little bit with the name on the, uh, you know, I, victory in something, right, every every time that we, we do this, and I struggled a little bit with the word assistance, not because I don't understand the word assistance, but if that was the right word, but I... I settled on it, and I do. I say I settled on. It. I think it's the the right word for for today. Um, if you feel like it's a different word, you have a pen or a pencil or something, and you can s- scratch that bad boy out and write a different word there uh, if you want. But uh, I'm excited about this because this is the interaction between Moses and Jethro, his father-in-law, with respect to how Moses is leading. The nation of Israel and their and ju- helping them judge their situations. Um, so we'll look at first the situation. I don't know why all of a sudden this isn't working. So I don't know if you can advance it for me, there, Chris. Nothing's happening up here. It's a good old-fashioned technical challenge. I'm gonna turn it off and turn it back on here. Well, I'm going to read it and while you figure it out. Are you, are you doing... Uh, Decker's trying to use the force uh, on it and that's not working either. I think it's because he's pointing it at the TV, but it's coming from the computer back there. All right, so uh, Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13. And it came to pass in the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest unto the people? Uh, To the people, why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning until even. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to choir of God. And when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Like, it's a perfectly reasonable response. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate standing in lines. I, I just, I, uh, cues, like, they just, there's something about it. I, I am to a point now, I'm getting older and I do this more, but I'm getting to a point where I apologize to the person that I get behind in line because the line is going to stop moving now that I'm in the line. There's going to be a, like, a, the re- cash register is going to break or they're going to have to call a manager or something, what? Price check. The price check's <laughs> going to have to occur. Somebody needs an extra 30 cents off of something, and I'm willing to pay the 30 cents just to finally leave. Um, yesterday I was at Home Depot. My wife knows. She's probably rolling her eyes. I, I, I had to return a little something, so I'm, I'm waiting in line. And the, But the, the line dynamics are really interesting because there were a couple people helping returns and customer service, and the lady had something in her car, and so one of the people had to leave with her, which is a big deal because now the lines go from two to, or two options to one. She literally, as we're leaving, turns to the line and is like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I didn't think it was going to be this, you know? And then I, I got in line, 
and I was buying a board, and instead of Home Depot having a clear little sticker or a price, and the cashier couldn't look it up, I was supposed to read the number on the board, which they had printed the number on the board. I don't know if you've ever looked at wood before, but it's not super smooth. So I'm supposed to read this like 15-digit number and get every number accurate for her to look it up. And so I kind of did the same thing as the other lady. And I'm like to the guy behind me, can you read this number? Because I can't read. Like I was, I I needed his help, but I was also sending a message like, it's not my fault. It's their (laughs) fault. Even though it is my fault for being in that line. Like nobody likes a line that isn't moving, right? If you're in a long line, but it's moving, you can deal with that. Because you're, so okay, you know, maybe 12 people ahead of me, but at least I'm moving. You know, we're getting somewhere. But if it stops, then people are like, then out come the, out come the prairie dogs <laughs> around the line, right? What's going on? Why the line moving, right? I think we're all, we all have some of that in us. Some people are more patient in lines than others. But there are consequences with a lack of support, in this case, a lack of delegation or assistance that Mo- Moses didn't have. Like, I, I can almost see, I mean, the people are going to Moses. We're talking like a million people. It's literally like the civil court, the legal, you know, the, 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 the legal, you know, courts that deal with, uh, you know, civil disputes and, and the, the cr- criminal court. Like, can you imagine the town of Kansas City, the city of Kansas City, having one judge to handle all of that? Like the line's going to be pretty long every day and you're going to get up because you're frustrated with your neighbor or you're trying to deal with something, let alone just asking God for direction, let alone trying to follow the Lord. Everybody's getting up as early as they possibly can, gathering up their manna and queuing up to talk to Moses. So there's consequences in this lack of delegation or assistance. First, the people are beholden to you. The people are beholden to you. Jethro says, why sittest thou thyself alone? We, this, this concept of alone is never good in Scripture. Really. I don't know that I've ever seen, and, and maybe you can think of a place, and we should talk about it after class, but Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. In Ecclesiastes 4, for if uh, they fall, right, one will lift up his fellow, but woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Unless they've got the life alert and they say, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And then somebody drives over or the police come and they help you up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. Unless your wife steals the blankets, then you're kind of cold sometimes. But that, how can one be warm alone? Well, probably because he gets the blankets all by himself. Uh, that would be the only way. John twelve twenty four. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It's, it's interesting. It abideth alone. It, if it stays on the stalk, it's going to abide alone. It will never reproduce itself. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it will bring forth much fruit. And then it will have company. It'll have a lot of company. It reproduces itself. So there's a consequence. uh, So there's a leadership principle here. 
And you are welcome to call me on this at any point in time. I don't want to be your only judge, if you will. Like, I'm not saying I don't want to ever be that judge in your life. I want to help you. I want to counsel you. I want to provide you feedback. I want to help when you inquire of God. But you are not beholden to me. That's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. He lives in any believer. So we can get safety and wisdom and perspective from a multitude of counselors that are spirit-led. But there are other pastors. Like, you don't answer to me, if you will. I mean, really at all. Sam has said this before. I can only pastor you. I can only lead you to the extent you allow me to. And if you don't want me in a certain aspect of your life, I'm not going to invite myself into that aspect of your life. That's not my job. And if you need to go to another pastor, you need to go to another fellowship leader, you need to go to your discipler who may also be in in this class, and you need to talk and you need to confirm something and you want to work through something, praise the Lord. Like, it's not important that it comes through me. It's important that it goes through a spirit-led believer. That's the point. So there's consequences of a lack of delegation by Moses by him trying to keep it to himself. If you find yourself under a pastor who can't delegate to anybody else, he is the, I guess in this day and age, and there's some she's, but uh, a pastor that cannot delegate and feels like they are the end-all, be-all for everything in the church, that is a warning sign. That is not healthy, according to Scripture. Okay? The other consequence, and other consequence, of a lack of delegation or assistance is people... Other people are not ministering themselves. All the people stand by thee from morning until until evening. It's it's really unfortunate because everybody's standing around waiting for one dude. Acts 6.1, and it's interesting because we just talked about deacons this today in the in the deacon ordination and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied so the church is growing <clears throat> there arose a murmuring of the grecians the a sect a, a, a group of people you know there was murmuring of the of the living well class against the whole heart class cuz the living well class is loud um No, I'm just kidding. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So there was a need that was not being met because everybody assumed the pastor or pastors had it under control. Right? There was a problem. I love this this, um, parable. Jesus communicates it exceedingly well. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder. And he went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Jumping down to verse 3. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the workplace. And at the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saying unto them, Why stand you here all the day idle? Now this actually points to some other contexts and, and some doctrinal implications. But the point is, those people stood idle all day kind of waiting for work looking for an opportunity. They didn't have an opportunity to jump into ministry. Moses is actually doing the people a disservice by not allowing them to be engaged. By setting a tone that he was the end-all, be-all for the, answer, the questions and answers, 
there wasn't interaction. People weren't solving the problems themselves. They weren't going seeking God of their own accord. I realize it's a little doctrinally different with respect to the Holy Spirit and that sort of thing. But it's not. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the people were standing idle, and that's not healthy. So the people are beholden to one man. That's not healthy. They're not ministering themselves. That's not healthy. And then the third is people see God, but only through you. <laughs> he says, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. Well, okay, but, you know, it reminds me of a Monty Python, Monty Python skit. I, I don't normally like, re- like to reference Monty Python, but in the Holy Grail, there's this part where they're going to burn the witch. But she's not really a witch. And the, the, the knight, the very intellectual knight, is trying to communicate to the people to how to determine if she's a witch. And he's like, you know, witches which which sink in, in water. They drowned. Well, what else sinks? And he says, rocks. Very, or, or I'm sorry, floats. Witches float in water. They don't sink. And so the, he says, uh, well, wood, wood doesn't so if we can build a bridge out of her then we'll know she's a witch because she's made of wood and he says ah but can you not also build a bridge out of stone you know none of you are tracking me it's okay it's funny <laughs> in my own mind but can you also not ask god yourself yeah. Yeah. like can you also not ask your brothers and sisters in christ If you have an unhealthy, this may surprise you, but this morning, I don't know, it's during the 7 o'clock hour, I put this pant leg on first, and then I put this pant leg on, and then I pulled up my pants and I secured them, much like every one of you that is wearing pants did today. I don't, I don't have a contraption where I can jump into them magically. They don't just magically appear. I am just a guy. I'm just a guy. Maybe, yeah, well, I don't know. I'd praise the Lord over that. But I am a guy. And, I mean, you don't have to come to me. I don't want to be the, con- the only conduit. I would be honored to counsel you. I would be honored to teach you. I would be honored to to pray on your behalf, but let me just be clear, I should not be the only conduit for you. There is a very and we'll see the second verse here and just well we'll just for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Like that's there's only one guy that can sit in that spot and it ain't me. And it ain't Moses. Even in 1 Samuel 9, he says, uh, And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver that I will give unto the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer, for he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. So prophets weren't just, oh, looking at a crystal ball, and they didn't do this, but, oh, looking at a, uh, the, the, the liver. The, I mean, there were some wacky people that did that sort of thing, demonic people that did that sort of thing. But the true man of God 
wasn't doing something magical. He was taking principles of the Word of God and how God had, had shown himself and applying them to the situation. That's the best I can do for you. Like that's, I can point you back to the Word. No one can only get to God through Mitch Dobson. And that's, that is a healthy place. If you find yourself in a ministry, you find yourself where somebody feels like everything has to run through them, again, not healthy. So, victory principle number one. You are not the man. You are not the man. Get out of the way. Okay? Get out of other people's way in ministry. We really do believe that if the Holy Spirit is working through you and in you, you can make wise decisions of your own accord. You can counsel your brother, your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. This doesn't have to rise and fall on Sam. So it brings us to our struggle. This is a little bit longer passage, 17 through 22. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it by thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them the ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Hope you're catching. It's a more general guidance. And Chris, I don't know if you want to try to turn the AC back on if you want to give that a try. Um, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, having covetousness and place uh, such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens and let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that Every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So it shall be easier for thyself, not just, he's not doing it to be easier, but so he's not sitting there all day, and they shall bear the burden with thee, like we're going to be in it together. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all the people shall go into their place in peace. Like, if we do this, it's going to be better. Okay? So, we need to talk about some stuff that's not always the easiest thing to talk about. And it's Jethro saying, this thing that thou doest is not good. By definition, this is a rebuke. This is a rebuke. And a rebuke can be a good thing. It's, it, doesn't, it can be edifying. Okay? So I want, we're going we're gonna to try this as an example, okay? Let's come up with something we can all agree on is a good or, or really is a bad thing, okay? I, I would like to propose that a child touching a hot stove is a bad thing. Can we agree that that's a bad thing? Okay, thank you. So there are times where I'm going to rebuke a child that might be considering touching a hot stove. Okay? Does that mean I don't love them? Of course not. It means I do love them. Okay? I can remember as a, as a little kid, we spent uh, a few days with my grandpa and my grandmother at their cabin down at Lake of the Ozarks. My 
grandmother on my mom's side was, was are, are you going to sneak back there and try to help? Thank you. Um, my, my grandmother on my mom's side was having some health issues, so my mom and dad sent us to, to stay with their other grandparents for, uh, for maybe a week or so just to help with, ease the burden on my mom and so she could spend time with her mom. And um, <clears throat> I remember, so the, the reason I say it's important that they live down at Lake Ozarks is it's relevant to the story. We're getting ready to go out fishing for the day because that's literally how they provided, they didn't have a whole lot of money, and so they provided a big portion of their diet was fish that he caught. So every day he would go out for a few hours and go fishing. And so we went out and got in the boat. We're a little faster getting down from the cabin and getting in the, in the boat. And I remember leaning over the boat and wanting to touch a styrofoam float that was a, the, the dock because we we're like right there and I just leaning over and touching it. it didn't seem like a big deal but my grandfather saw me I can still close my eyes and picture it saw me from the the cabin wasn't that far away and he yelled at me and I was hurt because it was the first time my grandfather had ever yelled at me but he yelled at me out of rebuke because he didn't want me to fall out of the the canoe or the boat, whatever it was, in between that and the the floats, and that would be potentially a dangerous place if you didn't, you know, if you didn't, especially as a kid, you know, you might not come up out of the water. You might come up against a dock or something, right? And I could die. Like, it was a thing. But I remember hurting over it, and I remember worrying about it as he got his stuff and he came down, and he's like, I'm sorry I yelled at you. I love you. And I just didn't want you to fall in the water. Like, he put context to it. He wasn't really sorry he yelled at me. I mean, I think he would have done it 50 times over. But he felt bad that he could tell I was hurt by it, right? So rebuke can be a good thing. The scripture is pretty clear. Rebu- reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. If you've got somebody that's like arguing y- with you, you don't be like, you know what? I don't like your tone. Like that's not going to help, Right? That's not going to help the argument because they're already a scorner. That's uh, bib- biblical advice is don't actually don't engage them, b- lest he hate thee. But rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. And you say, well, why would you have to rebuke a wise man if he's already wise? Because we all make mistakes, or we all have blind spots, or we all we don't see everything, right? And there are times when when I might have to rebuke you, but that doesn't mean I'm doing it out of hate. And yes, it can be embarrassing, and none of us like to be rebuked. I can still, I, even as I was telling you that story about my grandfather, I can still feel the emotions I felt when my grandfather yelled at me. But he did it out of love, and certainly I know that as an adult now. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke. You need to talk about these things. It's important. In your family, in your marriage, if, if, if there is an issue, like, honey... Stop hitting me. No, not really. She doesn't hit me. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, the way you said that actually bothered me. Made me hurt. Or you probably didn't realize that what you did was X. Or maybe you didn't even mean it that way, but it felt this way. Like, that's a form of rebuke. But it's a form of rebuke that's working to edification. That's working to betterment. Ecclesiastes 7.5 says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It's actually better 
to feel a little embarrassment because somebody called you out for being stupid or for having a blind spot than it is to hear the song of fools. Because fools are going to tell you, you're awesome. Well, that makes you by definition part of why they're a fool, or makes it by definition part of they're a fool, because they're calling you awesome. The song of fools that would praise you, the song of fools that would otherwise cause you to continue maybe doing the thing that you need rebuke about, is what makes it foolish. And then Titus 1.13, in Paul's pastoral epistle to Titus, where he's being very practical about ministry leadership, he says, Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. That the reason for rebuke is so that you are actually sound in your faith. If somebody was like, stands up in the middle of, of the service and says, Well, I can't believe there's no men or women licensees or women deacons. Well, I'm going to rebuke them sharply through Scripture, and explain why Scripture doesn't point to female deacons. It doesn't point to female licensees or female pastors. I will explain how the women have a very true and honest and good and, and very important role. And I don't even mean that in a minimum or a, a, a minimizing it or a secondary role. Their role in your women, your role in the church is vitally important. And I believe for the first time in history... Christianity opened up the house of worship to, to women. But I would rebuke them sharply in the word. So that they can be sound in the faith. But re rebuke does have its boundaries. In 1 Timothy 5.1, we see, You should not rebuke an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. If my dad... As my elder, my physical father is doing something I think he is, to, is doing wrong. Or if Sam is doing something as my spiritual father, as my spiritual head in this church is doing something I think is wrong. I am going to approach them both with much grace, with much peace. Assuming I'm wrong and say, hey, I saw this. I'm not sure that... Like, this actually happened this morning. Sam made a statement at a pastor's meeting last week that was factually incorrect. And, and it wasn't a big deal. Like, it's not, it was an oversight kind of statement. on Like, he was not lying. Let me just be very clear. It was factually incorrect. So this morning, I said, hey, Sam, you, you, made, this, you made this comment. And I'm, I said, I'm, I'm not sure that's 100% accurate because of this. And he's like, oh, wow, thanks. Because I think he might actually said it this morning in the update that wasn't ticked and tied out that he kind of over-applied a little logic. He, but, but I approached him like really humble, not scared. Let me be very care, uh, clear, although I am scared a little of Sam. I'm not scared of Sam, you know? I mean, I think he's got a lot of bulldog in him, like fight in him. So I am a little scared of him, but I'm not afraid to approach him and entreat him as a father. The same, I'm not really scared of my dad, but I'm still kind of scared of my dad, right? And if my dad is doing something I think is wrong, I'm going to entreat him, duh, as a father. Notice in first, uh, from Romans to 2 Thessalonians, the Pauline epistles to the church, to the general uh, church, right? The Romans and Galatians and Corinthians and Ephesians. 
There's only one time the word rebuke appears, and it's in Philippians 2.15, and it says, be without rebuke. So basically, it's a charge to the believer to not do things that people could rebuke you about, okay? But in 1 Timothy to Titus, what, they, what we call the pastoral epistles, where he's talking to pastors about how to lead ministry, he says rebuke five times because he knows pastors are going to have to rebuke people. And Jethro has to rebuke his son-in-law because he's not doing it right. <coughs> thou shalt surely wear away. Both thou and these people that is with thee. I'm saying this to you out of love. This is not a good thing. And because of that, he is issuing an, an, an admonition and a warning. So this came up in the last couple of weeks in my life. And I feel like the Lord, the timing on this was really important. So there's a difference between an admonition and a warning. Let's go back to our established truth that it's inappropriate and bad for a child to touch a hot stove. Okay? we still in agreement, doctrinally, that a child should not touch a hot stove. Okay? Admonition is like teaching or coaching what we do or don't do. So when the situation's not in play, I'm going to tell little Johnny, I'm going to tell little Susie, we don't touch a hot stove. Mommy is going to make cookies, but I need you to stay back. Okay, because you can get burned. It's super hot. You may not understand this, but you might want one of those cookies, but you've got to stay back because you can get burned. That is an admonition. A believer, I want you to live a spirit-filled life, but there are certain things I'm going to instruct and tell you about because I want you to be safe. I want you to be, quote, careful in ministry, right? That's out of love. Romans 15, uh, 14. Ye, are also, ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to ad admonish one another. So this ability to share truth among ourselves and not just go to a central place to get truth. And I don't mean scripture, but I mean like Moses, one guy, right? It's you're able to admonish one another. I hear conversations before class. I hear conversations after class. I see it in the chat. I, I, we talk about it in the men's Bible study. I, you know, other activities that happen around here where we're admonishing one another. And somebody's like, man, I'm really going through this or, or that. And somebody's like, well, have you considered this? Because, I mean, Scripture says you should maybe try that. Like, or, or maybe you should be careful about this. Or, or oh, I, I probably wouldn't take that job because that sounds like that's trouble. Or what, whatever. Like, we admonish one another. That's what we do. That's a good thing. Admonishment is really a positive. Ephesians 6, 4. <clears throat> and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't, like yell at them and create an environment where they want to lash out at you. But bring them up. And th we throw these two concepts together in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture is a safe environment for someone to grow. But admonition is safe teaching. It's putting something. It's coaching. It's putting information in them so they can grow and make wise decisions. So we're going to create a safe environment 
We're going to protect the unity. We're going to protect the safety in this place. But we're also going to admonish one another in the Lord. First Thessalon- or 2 Thessalonians 3.15 Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So when somebody does something weird... If somebody goes off the deep end and leaves and leaves his family and, and, and whatever, just does some really stupid things, <coughs> excuse me, and walks back into this place, I want them to know I love them as a brother. I love them as a brother. The door is never closed. The door is never closed to somebody who is either repentant in that example or even with Glevia. If if you if the Lord brings you back, we will like welcome you with open arms. Like that's a good thing. We should admonish one another in the Lord as brothers and sisters. But in Titus 3:10, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, then you can reject him. Then you've done your diligence. You've talked to them twice. Then I'm going to be like, well, now you're a heretic until you're until you're uh, until you're humble, until you're contrite, until you're repentant. Like I'm just rejecting you in your current state. The door's open for a repentant heart. Okay, but notice after the first and second admonition, given them multiple chances. So that's an admonition. That's different than a warning. Watch, therefore, remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Like a warning (coughs) is more like the rebuke, the type of rebuke my grandfather gave me. He yelled, don't lean over the boat or whatever he said. Don't do that. I think is, is, you know, Mitch, don't reach over there. I don't remember exactly. Like it scarred me. But the point is he yelled a very, it was a warning. He wasn't disciplining me. He was warning me. This, honey, don't touch the stove. It's hot. And, and how many times have we been around kids, either our own kids, our nieces, nephews, grandkids, where that's happened and the kid goes, <laughs> you know, right? Because they're crushed, right? But you would rather deal with the hurt heart than deal with the burned hand. And I'm not saying we're, we do, like, we don't want to hurt their heart, but you know what I'm saying. Like, like, I can console that and be like, I'm sorry, I just didn't want you hurt, as compared to dealing with, you know, a third degree burn because they didn't, they reached for the hot cookie on the, on, the, on the stove or whatever, and now they're, you know, or whatever, the fire or whatever it is, right? 1 Corinthians 4.14, I write not these things to shame you. 1 Corinthians, this really hard letter about the sin that's going on in the, cor- in the church at Corinth. I write not these things to shame you. I'm not trying to call you out to embarrass you. But as, beloved, as my beloved sons, I'm warning you. If you keep allowing this to happen in your church, in your ministry, bad things are going to happen. I love you that much that I'm kind of raising my voice at you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, even those, the unruly, that you have to warn. Be patient toward all men. So counsel looks a couple of different ways, or looks like this according to Jethro. Represent the people to God. 
teach and show them, be an example to them, teach them, but also live it out. Select leaders and give them empower empower them. That's kind of a buzzword. I know it is in, in kind of my my business and kind of corporate world, the concept of empowering people. You might see that on mission statements at restaurants or or stores or something, you know, empowering people. And that's a it's kind of a weird thing because Nobody else actually empowers except the Lord. But, but the, what we actually mean is, what most people mean is kind of like get out of the way and let people do the work. Empower them. Give them the authority to do things, to make wise decisions, and then let them lead. Let them lead. Proverbs 9.9 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Give responsibility to a responsible person and they will be more responsible. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good principle. So, all of that to point to our victory principle number two, hear counsel that is given to you. Moses gets this counsel from this rebuke, this warning, this admonition and this warning. Admonition, this is how you ought to do it, Moses. Warning, you're going to burn out if you're not careful, right? Admonition and warning. Hear the counsel that is given to you. Hear it. It brings us to our victory. Exodus 18, 24 to 27. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose out able men out of all Israel and he made them heads over the people. Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses, his father-in-law, uh, and Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. That's interesting here because, despite Moses knowing their past, he chooses them. You say, wait a second, what past? Oh, the fact that just a couple of chapters ago they wanted to kill him. Maybe that past. The fact that they repeatedly. Repeat, repeat, repeatedly don't seek the Lord when they come to a hard place. They want to go back to Egypt. Oh yeah, those people, Moses is looking at and says, okay, I'm going to give you some responsibility. Now, this is the hardest thing for leaders to do. Well, it's the hardest thing for this leader to do. And I'm constantly working on it. I'm constantly working on it. The Lord has taken me so many different ways to Sunday on this. It's not even funny. Because I have to learn to keep giving away stuff to people that might not have been faithful. Or, let me rephrase, as faithful as I wanted them to be. Maybe they were faithful. But they weren't as faithful as I was expecting them to be. Right? So despite... The nations of Israel, the, na- the, the leaders that are already there in the nation of Israel, despite the fact that they have repeatedly failed God and Moses, Moses takes this admonition where he has this responsibility. I take their issues before God and I tell them what God says. Now he has to delegate this out to a group of people who have repeatedly proven themselves that they can't do it. Ah! That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. So Moses chooses them. He ordains them. And then he allows them to judge. There's a parallel here. Jesus, despite knowing our nature, chose, 
not in a form of selection, but he chose his disciples. He ordained them, and then the disciples went to work. And he does that with each and every one of us. Despite knowing our insufficiencies, despite knowing our frame, if you will, our humanness, he still empowers us with the gospel to carry that out. Like, I can think of a couple of better plans than trusting people like me with the gospel. Like, aren't there angels that can do stuff? And aren't there like supernatural ways God could do, show himself to people? But he chooses to use us. Oof. Wow. John 15. Oh, it was on there. I'm sorry. John 15, 16. I, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring, go forth, uh, and uh, should go and bring forth fruit. Like that's, that's kind of a big deal. That's a big deal that Jesus, just like Moses, knowing their insufficiency, Jesus knows our insufficiency, still empowers them. Jesus empowers us. Victory principle number three, and we'll wrap up. A true leader hands off work and trusts the result. And trust the result. That's hard. This may sound like a really tried example, but a couple years ago we did a we did a murder mystery. Michelle and I kind of led it, put it on with Dell and Serene, but we pretty much put it together. And then Tom approaches me and says he wants to to do the murder mystery, and he even wants to write it. And I'm like, oh Tom, come on, just buy a murder mystery already. <laughs> But what happened? I just let him do it. And I just stepped back. And we had a wonderful time. And it was a great story. And we had to get, like, like I don't know that I would have changed anything. Except how many potato chips I ate at the beginning as a character. <laughs> I feel like I ate too many potato chips and then I ruined my dinner. Other than that, it was awesome. A true leader, and I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back because it was actually kind of hard. I, like, I kept wanting to ask him, are you good? Are you good? And I asked you a couple times, but I wanted him to feel support. But like, like I, I just had to just trust him. Just trust him. Discipleship's kind of hard for me because I kind of want to go, well, lesson you on. How's it going? Any issues? Tell me about them. I want to solve them. Like, as compared to just like trusting that it's going okay. Or that you'll call me if you need me. You'll let me know if there's an issue. That's hard for me. So I, 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 this, is, this message is pointed to me. Our last verse, Matthew 28, 18 and 19. I mean, you probably know it. It's, a, it's a, at least the first kind of part of the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them. And this is, this is extremely humbling for me. He says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus claims all the power in heaven and earth. I don't know if you get that, but like all the gravity, all the laws of physics, all the laws of thermodynamics, the, the bonds that hold our very molecules together, all of that power he has. And he says, go ye therefore. He doesn't say, I'm going and follow me. He says, I have all the power and I'm choosing to engage you in the mission. Wow. That's, that's a lot. That's like a lot, a lot. Moses received the rebuke 
and edif- it, it, the result was that the, the nation of Israel was edified. The children of Israel was edified by that, or were edified by that. If we have to have a rebuke conversation, be edified by it. Be edified by it. It is for the good. It is for the good. And if you find yourself in a leadership position in this class, in, in this ministry, this church, somewhere else, please trust that the Lord has put people that can handle it in your ministry or people that need to learn the lesson in not managing it. That's one of the things I love about our church is that we're not afraid to let people skin their knees in ministry. And I, I love that illustration because we're not going to let them walk off a cliff in ministry, but we will let them skin their knees. And that's why you get up sometimes, or we get some of the, and I'm not going to pick on the guys that do announcements. I mean, they're developing. Some of these folks have never gotten up and spoken that much in front of a group of people. And now they've got to communicate quickly concepts, important things that people need to know. And sometimes it's cringeworthy from my perspective. It's like, bro, say it. Say the thing you're supposed to say and move on. Stop. Stop. Okay, say that thing. Stop. Please stop. Like, it's, it's cringeworthy for me. Because I know what they're supposed to say. And they go down these rabbit holes. I mean, there was a few weeks ago, somebody was talking about pizza and having people over. And it was like, bro, what do you... Stop. Stop. Like, yeah. It's, but that is why we are all, one of our ministry principles is we're always developing leaders. People have to have the framework to be able to, to skin their knees, to fall down and get up, and their knees will be a little bloody, but guess what? They'll heal just fine. We're going to create a good protective environment around them, but they're going to grow in ministry. Okay? That's a really important principle here. Jethro charges Moses, and Moses responds biblically, if you will. Of course, it's in the Bible, but he responds the way he's supposed to. Rebuke a wise man, and he'll become wiser. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day. We just ask that, Lord, you help me as a pastor. You help the pastors of this church always be empowering, always be handing off and trusting And knowing that you're at work, that your Holy Spirit is way better at this stuff than I could ever be. We love you. We thank you for the the assistance, not just from Jethro to his people, or to Moses, but from Moses to his people. uh, That the assistance that uh, was experienced was, was ultimately for, maybe even for our edification, for the edification of the body of believers. So we can see, we can learn from these examples and apply them in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. Two weeks we'll do our uh, we'll do our walk down uh, to. Uh